Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. So we're reading my book, The Pesky Kids 3, Stuck in the Mud, and we're up to chapter 21. Now, I'm going to actually read two chapters today, 21 and 22, because they're both short chapters. So first of all, chapter 21, more pressure. Here we go. Pesky! screamed Mr. Popoff, the PE teacher. Finn looked around. He assumed Mr. Popoff was yelling at April. Usually she was the one in the family to inspire that level of anger. But then he remembered that she wasn't there. She was still in her meeting with Mr. Lang, much to the relief of everyone else in their English class. It meant they were actually able to do quiet reading, in quiet for once. That was until the PE teacher had burst in and started yelling. Can we help you, Mr. Popoff? asked Mr. Sturgis, the English teacher. That boy, said Mr. Popoff, struggling to find the words for his anger. He was Russian originally, so when he was angry, he often thought in that language. That boy, he has vandalised my football field. He's been sitting here quietly reading for the last half hour, said Mr. Sturgis. I had a meeting with the supplier of the skipping rope, said Mr. Popoff. When I went back to my office, there were three diggers and a bulldozer on the football field. They've cut great big trenches right down the middle. Oh, good, said Finn. I was worried that the diggers wouldn't have long enough reach to get the depth I wanted. You admit you did this, demanded Mr. Popov. I didn't think you'd mind, said Finn. The mud run is a form of physical education. Not mind, exclaimed Mr. Popov. The football season. She starts in four weeks. How could I not mind? They'll fill the holes in again next week, said Finn, after the race. They're going to bring all the dirt all the way back here, are they? asked Mr. Popov sceptically. Well, it's not going far, said Finn. That dirt is going to form the mud mountain obstacle. Where's that? asked Mr. Popoff. Finn checked his watch. Well, they should be building it right now, on the school's bowling greens. Mr. Popoff was horrified. All that dirt on the bowling greens? They can't! We only just got the greens right again after that Darawal woman landed her aeroplane on them. Oh, they're not going to dump dirt anywhere, said Finn. Mr. Popov sagged with relief. No, continued Finn. They're going to compact it into a big muddy hill, embed massive posts all around it and drape a cargo net over the top. Mr. Popov did not stay to hear the rest of Finn's description. He was already running back across the school to see what damage was being done to his beloved greens. And that is the end of that chapter. I'm very sorry. I'm very bad at Russian accents. I've been trying for years and I just can't do it. I'm sorry. Let's go straight into chapter 22, preparation. Here we go. What followed was a gruelling three weeks for all the peskies. Joe was being trained as hard as any horse preparing for the Grand National. Loretta had been riding horses since she could walk. She knew all about training big, sweaty, inarticulate beasts. Joe was no different. If anything, he was easier to train than a horse. He was less likely to bite her or kick her in the head. April was being put through her paces by Maya Darrowell, with Tom being dragged along behind. April had started to enjoy the early morning training sessions. She never seemed to tire, no matter what Maya threw at them. She almost seemed to feed off the misery of the middle-aged women in their training group. 
particularly Mrs Pillsbury. April loved seeing Mrs Pillsbury suffer. 35, 36. It's ironic, said April between sit-ups. What? asked Tom between breaths. He'd rather not talk. He found it hard to count and talk, and there's no way he wanted to do more than the instructed 50 reps. I never put Pumpkin on a leash. 38, 39, said April. Pumpkin was nearby eating rubbish he'd found next to the bin while he waited for them to jump up and do something more interesting. But here I am, 41, 42, dragging you around on a leash. It's not a leash, panted Tom. It's a lanyard. Same, same, said April, 45, 46. Come on, you two, called Mayor Darrowell. No slacking back there. When you've finished your sit-ups, I want you to jog to the giant poo and back. But that's two kilometres away, wailed Tom. 49, 50, exclaimed April, springing to her feet and tugging Tom up by the lanyard. You heard her. It's time for walkies. She took off jogging with Tom and Pumpkin close on her heels. I don't know how you put up with her, Tom grumbled to Pumpkin. Pumpkin just barked. To his tiny dog brain, April was the best human a dog could ever have. She always provided lots of opportunity for exercise. Ingrid was in training too, but Dad was not sure exactly what that training involved. From his makeshift bed in the walk-in wardrobe, he heard her get up and go out every night between two and four o'clock in the morning. He assumed she was training for the mud race. He didn't like to imagine what else she could be doing during that time. As this all went on, no one paid any attention to Finn. This was a mistake, because Finn was plotting challenges and obstacles that would rival the doomsday devices of any evil genius. He and Neil spent hours locked in Dad's shed, hammering, sawing, and whizzing away with power tools as they came up with design ideas for the mud run. They'd build scale models, then give them to the builders with the heavy machinery to construct in full scale. Everywhere around town, strange timber rigs were being constructed by day. Every night, the mining company would dump tons and tons of dirt in a new location, according to Finn's instructions. Currawongians were enjoying the mystery. It was like opening the door of an advent calendar, only instead of little cardboard doors with chocolate behind them, they were opening their actual front doors and discovering where today's dirt hill had been placed. The day the giant poo disappeared was the most controversial. A massive mountain of dirt appeared one morning in the exact location of the giant poo. Local residents were outraged until someone got a spade and dug in a bit to discover that the giant poo was still there, just covered in dirt. On the whole, it was just... On the whole, it was decided this actually made it more like a real potato, because real potatoes were buried, so everyone just got on with their day and forgot about it. The next controversy was when a farmer from Bilgong Way donated 50 tonnes of dirt to a pile Finn wanted in the median strip right outside the entrance of town. He deposited the load exactly where he'd been instructed to, then drove back to his farm. But everyone on Main Street soon realised that just because it was brown and dirty did not mean it was dirt. Constable Pike was called in and it was confirmed that this pile was really dung. The farmer refused to come back and pick it up. The owners of the restaurants in Karawong, all three of them, were distraught. No one wanted to eat with that smell in the air. But luckily, Garden Pride won out. Finn simply placed a sign on the pile saying, Free Manure, and the avid gardeners of the town had it cleared away and fertilising their roses by nightfall. Then, on the eve of the big race, the heavens opened. It was a heavy, pelting deluge. Finn couldn't have been happier. All his strategically placed dirt was now mud, and getting muddier by the second. Joe was the last to return to the house that night. He'd been out at the furthest point of the St Anthony's cross-country course when it had started to rain. He couldn't have been wetter if he jumped in a lake. His hair was flat against his head. His T-shirt and shorts felt like they had bricks inside them. They were so heavy with water. And his shoes sounded like the mating cry of a frog. He squelched and squeaked with every step. 
By the time Joe got back to the dressage area where Loretta was waiting for him, while putting Vladimir through his paces in the comfort of the dry, sawdust-strewn shelter, he had never been so sodden in his life. Loretta's driver drove them home, but only after wrapping Joe in a tarpaulin so he wouldn't ruin the leather seats. But Joe's teeth were still chattering. The cold had gotten into his bones. As Joe staggered past the living room, he was emotionally and physically exhausted. Are you ready for the big day? Finn called out over the back of the couch without even looking up from the blueprints he was studying. No, said Joe. He wanted to cry, but he was so exhausted it was easier not to bother. You look tired, said Finn, glancing up from his blueprints. He is, said Loretta with a smile. That was my training strategy. They say the best thing you can do to prepare for a race is get a good night's sleep. So I tired him out to make sure he could get some rest. You made me do all that training today so I could sleep, exclaimed Joe, becoming marginally more animated for a moment. Yes, said Loretta with a smile. I think it's best you don't have any free time to think. You're fit enough to win the race. It's your brain I'm worried about. With you, your brain is your nemesis. It's much more likely to defeat you than any sporting rival. Joe didn't have the energy to argue. He just turned and trudged towards the stairs. Loretta bounced along behind him, making her way to her own, formerly April's, bedroom. Good night, then, called Finn. Tomorrow's going to be huge. I hope not, said Joe glumly. He secretly suspected that the only thing likely to be huge was the disappointment everyone felt when he let them down. And that is the end of the chapter, so we'll leave it there. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.